This morning, if you've not already done so, let me encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we have been studying this chapter for several weeks now since the end of August, and today is probably one of the core or central messages in this study. And so this, if this is the first time you've been here to be a part of this particular study, you came on just the right day because we are, we are tying together a lot of threads that we have been studying up to this moment. When I became a Christian, one of the things that, that did not happen for me as a young Christian was initially no one came alongside me, took me under their wing, and spent time teaching me what it meant to be a Christian what it meant to follow Christ, what it meant to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I felt that something was missing, and I, I found myself as a young Christian intensely hungry with a deep desire. And so I would go to every service I could, every class I could. I listened to speakers. I listened to teachers because I wanted to understand what it meant this relationship with Christ that I had entered into. And increasingly, I found that, that what was happening uh, was something that the Holy Spirit was accomplishing in me, and he accomplishes in every one of his children, and every Christian, is that increasingly, he was developing a relationship with me. If you think back to if you were so exposed to a discipleship course or a discipleship group where people were on purpose helping young Christians to grow in Christ, what was the focus of that? Sometimes the, the thing that we're talking about today was there, but, but oftentimes it was skirted around, talked around in circles. When we, we confine discipleship to something that we do. We confine discipleship to a book that we read, to scriptures that we committed to memory, and certain disciplines and habits that we developed in our life like having a quiet time, sharing our faith, reading the Bible regularly, church attendance, church giving, or whatever the list was. And every one of those things are good things. But when Jesus got ready to teach his disciples what discipleship would look like after he was gone, what kind of picture did he draw? In John chapter 14, Jesus has made very clear to his followers, that he is leaving. They were not expecting that. They thought this would be the time where he was going to establish his earthly kingdom. That's yet to come, by the way. But that was not the time. And in fact, Jesus made it very clear to them that he was going away. But he was going to pray, and the Father was going to send another comforter. Jesus had had related to them for three years. They got up every morning. They saw him. They heard him. They followed him. And Jesus said, the Father's going to send someone who is another comforter, just like me. In other words, the kind of relationship that we have enjoyed for three years. I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's been with you. Now he's going to be in you. And this relationship that we have had for three years is going to continue. I will not leave you as orphans, he says in chapter 14. He says, I will come to you. So so they're bewildered, I believe. I would have been. 
Because how am I going to know what to do if he's gone? Where am I going to go if he's gone? How am I going to do the things that I saw him do if he's gone? What is discipleship like? And so Jesus in John 15 essentially draws a picture of the teaching in John 14. And he did not draw a picture of a book. He did not draw a picture of a, of a diploma. He didn't draw a picture of a church building. He drew a picture of a relationship. And when we come to John 15 and we read verses 1, 2, and 3, and we've been studying those passages, we see Jesus describing us as branches in a vine. We are branches, and he is the vine. And as long as the branch is connected to the vine, it is united with that vine, it draws everything it needs for life from that vine, and ultimately it produces fruit, the whole purpose of the relationship, it produces fruit by this connection to the vine. And so the title of this morning's message, and we are finally getting to it, I've been talking around it for some time, is How to Abide in Christ. How to Abide in Christ. And I want us to focus this morning on verse 4. Verse 4. About a year ago, actually over a year ago now, the Lord began to deal with me in a, with a new sense of urgency about this passage. Those of you who've been around in, in August of last year, there was a real shift in my heart. We began talking about a heart problem in the church and how very much I want to be and I want us to be a people of a burning heart, people who have a passion for Christ, who love Christ. And about that same time, this passage of Scripture began to open up for me and and the Lord began to stress to me, this is something that we need to give attention to. But I had so many questions about it myself. And I've been doing this for a long time. But you know, there's some passages of Scripture that, that you look at and you say, I think I understand that. But would you want to stand here and teach it? Uh, would you want to stand here at all? <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time over the last year thinking about this passage, the, the the staff and I read parts of this passage a year ago. I took this particular verse, and the verse says, you can, you can just follow along in the text or on the screen, John 15, verse 4, says, Jesus says, he's speaking, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I took that verse, and, and I, I literally made it the, the backdrop to most of the devices that I use and I look at on a regular basis so I could see that verse all the time because the significance of it was so great. Now, before we talk about how to abide, can I just, can I just underline the importance of abiding for you personally and for us as a church? Let me do that this way. I, I preached a message on a Sunday night a few weeks ago called Fruitless and Clueless. Fruitless and Clueless. I'm not going to ask you how many were here that particular night, but I encourage you, you can go back and, and watch it, Fruitless and Clueless, because one of the great struggles we have as a denomination right now, not just us, but across our North American uh, spectrum of churches, 
is the lack of conversions, the lack of people coming to faith in Christ. Let me show you a chart up on the screen. This is, this is a record of baptisms over the last dozen years or so in Southern Baptist life. Do you notice anything significant? Y'all are, y'all are really an intelligent group, I know. Do you notice anything significant? Are baptisms going up or baptisms going down? Down. And we have thousands of churches that will spend a whole year reading the Bible, praying together, studying together, and will not see a single person come to Christ in their church. Now, I want to say very carefully up front that baptisms are not the fruit spoken of in John 15. They are not. And we're going to talk about what is that fruit in another message. But can you imagine a church full of people abiding in Christ, unable to reach people with the gospel like this? See, the problem that you and I have is not that he has changed, not that as a vine he is unable to produce life through us that results in fruit, a changed life, the character of Christ, the works of Christ through us. He hasn't changed. He can still do that through us. The problem is that there's no fruit. And, and, and dear ones, pastors and church leaders are under incredible pressure in our country to produce fruit. Part of that is because we've begun to approach the church like a business. We want to know how many nickels were given on a particular Sunday, how many noses showed up in the classroom. And we become numbers focused, and so we begin to look at our leadership like in, from a business perspective. Well, you're just like the CEO of a company, and so what you have to do is produce. And so pastors who buy into that or pastors who promote that find themselves under this great weight to produce, and they'll do anything to get somebody in the baptism. They'll do anything to get somebody to come to their church or to come to their door. And they, they feel this pressure, and it's not a question of am I equipping the saints to do ministry. That's not even on the radar screen. The question becomes, is the, are the pews filled? Are there backsides on the cushions? Do I have bodies here? Not am I equipping people to do ministry. Let me show you what the problem is. And let me show you the mistake that you can make. Because let me bring this down make it personal. Let's say you have a particular problem, whatever it is. And you've been struggling with this problem a long time in your life. Or you have certain individuals in your life and you see them. You just can't deal with those individuals. You can't manage them. You can't relate to them. Or you have a chronic uh, stress or anxiety or, or, or pressure point in your life or, or sin. But sometimes it's not just sin. Sometimes it's just what the Bible calls a weight that we need to get rid of out of our life. Something that we're doing that's really not helping us. And, and we get consumed with all these other things. And, and we, we realize I'm not being like Jesus and I'm not Christ-like and I'm not producing his life. And, and so we try harder. We try harder. Not to worry. We try harder not to look at things I shouldn't look at. We try harder not to get angry. We try harder not to be afraid. We try harder, and we try harder, and we try harder. Jesus didn't say, try hard. He didn't say that. 
And so what we're reading today is not only significant for us as a church, it is extremely significant for you and me as individuals. Because this is how we are supposed to follow Christ in 2017. This is how we are supposed to follow Christ in every moment of our day. This is more than scripture memory. This is more than reading my Bible. This is more than showing up. This is more than giving my money. This is a life. And if I don't understand this, I'm going to be broken at the very center of my my relationship with Jesus. So I want you to see the next picture because this is what Jesus is saying in verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If I put all my emphasis on changing myself, producing the fruit, producing the changes, producing the numbers, producing whatever it is, then I'm at that end of the branch where the fruit is produced. You see the fruit that's coming off there, the the grapes? See the red circle in the middle, the screen? I'm focusing on that. Now, what did Jesus say to focus on? Did he say, produce the fruit? He cares about the fruit. We're going to see that later. He's very interested in the fruit. But he said, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what's the key? Should I be focusing on producing fruit? I think I'm focusing on the wrong thing if I focus on the fruit, don't you? He said, abide in me will come. And so I should be focused on the, on the right side of the screen. I should see that circle where my branch is connected to the vine. He says, focus on this. Focus on abiding in me. Focus on this relationship with me. Nurture this. Cultivate this. Fruit will come. Fruit will come. And so we want to spend our time today Answering the question, how does someone abide in Christ? The word abide means, a lot of times, depending on the the lexicon that you use, can mean remain, it can mean continue, it can mean kind of to dwell. Um, Let me give you a word that I think is really helpful. It means to stay. Abide means to stay. And Jesus is saying, stay in me. It also means stay in a house. It can mean stay in a hotel. It can mean stay in the country. It can mean stay in your boat. It can mean stay in a particular place. But here he's saying, stay in me. Stay in me. So it means to stay somewhere. And Jesus is saying, stay in me. So how do I do that? I do that by abiding in Christ, by staying in Christ. What does that mean? Number one, I abide in Christ by making a choice to abide in him. I abide in Christ by making a choice to abide in him. You know, when my kids were little, they would play with, with stuffed animals. Do your kids ever do that? They play with stuffed animals. Now, if I, if I put the stuffed animal up here, and you ever see little kids do that? They'll get all their stuffed animals out, they'll line them up, and they put them out there like so. They say, they talk to them like they're real. Say, hello, Mr. Giraffe. This is what's supposed to be a giraffe. I think it's a giraffe. Gail told me it was a giraffe. And they say, hello, Mr. Giraffe. Now, I want you, Mr. Giraffe, I want you to stay right there. That's really cute when a child does that, right? They say, stay right there. And we say, oh, isn't that cute? Now, I'm 56 years old. 
Why, Mr. Giraffe, stay right there. You'd start worrying about me if I was doing that. You would. And amen, thank you. I appreciate that concern. Now, I would say stay there, and you would laugh. It would be ludicrous. Why? Because this isn't a living thing. It's not a living thing. Now, if it was alive, and I had a pet or a dog, an animal, and I said stay, and they stayed, you'd be impressed because he did what I said. If I, if I look at him and I say if, uh, to a child, I say, son, daughter, grandchild, whatever, stay right here, and they stayed right there, you'd be impressed because they're a living thing, and they were doing what I told them to do. But for them to do that is a living thing. For a living thing to stay, they stay because they choose to stay. They have to make a choice to stay. When Jesus says, abide in me, guess what? You have a choice to stay or not stay. Automatically, that tells me that your life as a Christian can be very different from one person to the next to the next. Because you can be a Christian and not abide and miss something profound that he has in mind for you. So if you're going to abide, you're going to have to choose to abide. It's a choice, first and foremost, that you have to make. It's a continual choice, and um, you have to make it. Is that something that you're doing now? Are you choosing to do this? The second thing I want you to see is this. How do I abide in Christ? By making a choice to abide in him. Secondly, by cultivating a love relationship with him that is internal, invisible, and intimate. But it's a love relationship that is all of these things. It's internal. We've talked about this. You have an inner man and an outer man. A part where you live that nobody else sees, nobody knows about except you and God. And then you have an outer person. The rest of us see that. So this relationship is not on the outer side. This relationship, abiding in Christ, is something that happens on the inside. It is inner. It is invisible. In the passage of Scripture that we've been studying, John 14 John 15, we realize that this relationship Jesus is going to continue with his disciples is made possible by the Holy Spirit who lives in them, who's coming to live inside them. Now, dear one, that is the absolute definition of a Christian. If the Holy Spirit does not live inside a person, they cannot by any biblical stretch or any biblical concept be called a Christian. Now, we use Christian in a lot of different ways. We talk about Christian countries. There's no such thing. We talk about Christian communities or Christian cultures. But when we talk about a Christian in the sense of someone who has a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died for them, shed his blood for their sins on the cross, that relationship is made real. That ma- the relationship is made possible because the Holy Spirit, at the moment of faith, that Holy Spirit came to live inside that person and to indwell them, and he will never leave. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. And I don't want to, we could do a whole Bible study just on that. And I can get to know God through the Word as the Holy Spirit helps me understand it. I take the Scripture, the Word is precious to me. It has a life of its own. It's, it's spiritual in nature. 
And as you and I read the Scripture and as we study the Scripture, we feed our spirit, we feed our souls, and through it, I gain a clearer vision of who God is. I get to understand better who Jesus is and his heart for me, this person who lives inside me. And so I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Scripture. (coughs) Excuse me. But there's more. And that's where we're hurting, I believe, especially in North America. That's why we're struggling in this area of fruit. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we see the first reference to the fact that there's something more. In Acts 3.19, Peter is preaching a sermon, and he says, Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Have you ever heard a sermon like that before? Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Don't we do that most Sundays during the invitation? Don't we say that? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And and by dying for our sins, he washed our sins away. That's what Peter's preaching. I mean, he's right there with Billy Graham at that point. Or rather, rather, Billy Graham's right there with Peter. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that you can go to heaven. Is that what it says? Be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He didn't say anything about heaven. And suddenly I realize that my sins can be forgiven by trusting Jesus, by faith. My sins can be forgiven, but there's more than just getting my sins forgiven. There's more than just heaven. What does he say? He says, do this. Repent, be converted so that your sins can be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Where is he present? He's present in you. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. And he says, through this relationship, there will be times, not one time, not just two times, many times, times of refreshing, literally times when you catch your breath, you get reoriented in life, I get a fresh sense of who I am and where I'm going because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. There will be times of refreshing, and it comes from the presence of the Lord. And suddenly I realized that there's more to this life than just showing up on Sunday. In fact, if I just show up on Sunday, if I just show up on Sunday and read my Bible, if I just have a quiet time, it's not enough. Something is missing. There's much more that he has in mind for you and me. It's not to do more. It's, a, it's more of a relationship that he wants to have for you and me. So it's your birthright to experience the presence of Jesus. Let me give you another example. John 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. The thief does not come, and he's talking about the devil. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. You ever seen the devil at work? You betcha. You don't have to go back but a week. Las Vegas, see the devil at work. That's that's the devil at work. And, uh, and God's at work, and people's lives are going to be changed for this tragedy. I listened to a young man um, on CNN talk about, and this is what he said. He said, I went into that concert as agnostic. I came out believing in God because of what, what he saw God do through the people who survived. And so you look at that and you say, wow, you know, 
uh, why did God let this happen? Why did God allow this terrible thing to take place? Well, there's a thief in the world. You and I need to understand that there's a thief in the world. And he says, a thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now listen to what Jesus said. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now what you need to see there very carefully, sometimes we breeze over that verse, is that there's two parts to what Jesus is saying. I am come that they might have life. That's eternal life, spiritual life, the knowing God kind of life, that they might have life. But he doesn't want to stop there. Repent and be converted so that your, your sins can be blotted out. He doesn't want to just stop there. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, it's not enough to be saved. He wants more. He wants you to experience more, to know more, to have life, yes. Have your sins forgiven, yes. Be a church member, sure. Come to church, show up, please. But there's more to life than that. I've come to them, I have life and have it more abundantly. There's life and there's abundant life. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, he said, I want to write to you as spiritual people, but you're not spiritual, you're carnal. You're people who are in Christ, you have life, but you don't have it abundantly. You're not spiritual, you're not living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're carnal, you're saved people living like lost people. So there's life and abundant life. There's having your sins blotted out and then there are times of refreshing. There's carnal Christianity, there's spiritual Christianity. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And you have to make a choice. And then you and I have to cultivate a love relationship with him that's internal, invisible, and intimate. So there's no more. There's, there's much more. There's, this is no imaginary relationship. This is a life lived with a person who lives inside of you. It's an entirely different kind of relationship. And that's what Jesus is getting at in John 14. They're confused. They don't understand. But let me walk you through it for just a moment. We're going to look at some verses we haven't looked at yet. John said, I'm going to pray that the Father sends another comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and he's going to come. You know him because he's been with you and he's going to be in you, he says. He says, I will not leave you orphans. That is so significant. I'm not going to leave you parentless. He said, I will come to you. And then listen to what he says next in verse 19, John 14, verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but... You will see me. You think, how is that possible? Because I live, you will live also. He's going to die on a cross. And that day, you will know. You need to understand that, that word know in the Greek language has two different words that could have been used in that, in that, in that place right there. One word, oida, means to know with my head, know facts, to know facts. The other word, gnosko, means to know something from experience, from intimate uh, experience with something. And Jesus said, at that day, you will know, not as a fact, but from your own experience. You will know in your own experience that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
There's life and there's abundant life. He goes on, he says in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Suddenly he's talking about love. Now, now don't, get, don't get caught up in this, and I can't do the kind of, of teaching at this point that I would love to do, but he who has my commandments and keeps them, this is someone who's being obedient to the things that please God. He says, the person doing that, it is he who loves me. So why are they keeping the commandments? Because they love Jesus. Why are they keeping his word? Because they love Jesus. Why do they want to please him by doing what pleases him? Because they love him. People live right and they do right for a lot of reasons. Some people do right because they don't want to get caught and they're afraid of getting exposed. Some people do right because they're afraid that their spouse or a friend will find out what they're doing. Some people live right because they just have a high moral ethical code in their mind and that's just the way they were raised and they're going to do right by golly no matter what. Jesus says, these are people who do right because they love me and they want to please me. The ones that keep my commandments, those are the ones that love me. They're not, don't put the emphasis on the commandments, put the emphasis on do I love him? Do I love him? And he who loves me, watch what happens here. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What does that mean? He says, they're going to see me. I'm going to reveal myself to them. There's life and abundant life. There's, there's abiding and there's not abiding. He goes on in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, and he asked the question everybody's thinking. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, in other words, how are you going to do this, Lord? He said this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. That obedience, that keeping of the word is not because you're a legalist. Just all about rule keeping. We keep the word because I love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, how is it that you will manifest to us? He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And look at this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. How is it possible when Jesus says that that day you will know that I am in my Father? You're going to know it not with your head, but with your heart. Why? Because Jesus says we're going to come and we're going to meet with you. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Not with your physical eyes, but certainly with the eyes of your heart. Encounter, relationship, over and over, again and again, moment by moment, a love relationship with Jesus. Do you love him? Do you love him? You remember when Peter messed up, when he blew, blew it? I'm not going to deny you, Lord. All these other yahoos, they may deny you. I didn't mean to point at the choir, I'm sorry. All these other yahoos, they may deny you, but Lord, I'll never deny you. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Do you remember after he blew it, he messed up, he was a broken man, he ran, he hid? Do you remember what Jesus said to him when he met him again? On the shores, on that day when they had been fishing. You remember what he said? He went up to him. Did Jesus say this? He said, Peter, you blew it, buddy. 
but try harder next time. Is that what he said? Uh Uh-uh. He said, Peter, do you love me? And how many times did he say it? Three times. You see, the problem was not whether Peter had done the right thing or the wrong thing. The problem was in that moment, Peter's love had waned. He lost his first love, if you want to use that language. It wasn't about love in that moment. It was about survival. We've heard story after story this week coming out of Las Vegas of people without even thinking who threw themselves, threw their bodies in front of bullets for other people. Unthinking. And I'm sure there were others who were just scared to death and they could hardly breathe, could hardly move. We're not going to hear a lot of those stories, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are, who are really questioning their behavior that night. But, but the point is, there were people there who loved each other. What did they do? They covered them. They surrounded them. They covered them. What happened to Peter that night was not that he sinned, not that he betrayed Jesus, not that he denied Jesus, but what happened that night is for a moment he lost his heart, his passion, his love for Christ. And listen, that's where you've got to start. That's the first place you've got to begin is to start there. You've blown it today. You blew it last night. You blew it this week. Listen, don't go back and just say, to Jesus, I'll try harder next time. He's not looking for that. He's not looking for you to try harder. He's saying, look, come to me. Stay with me. Love me enough to stay with me. The last thing I want you to see is that we abide in him through a choice. We abide in him by cultivating a love relationship. But thirdly, by practicing his presence through two things, through conscious communion and spontaneous conversation. There are times where I've had people ask me, how do you abide? And they were looking for a formula. I'm not giving you a formula today. There is no formula. What God is doing in your heart in many ways is unique and different from what he's doing in anybody else's heart. He has different things that he's doing in in the lives of every person here. The goal is the same. He wants to take us to the same place. But there's not a one, two, three here. But it is a moment-by-moment relationship with a moment-by-moment Savior. And we achieve that at best through conscious communion and spontaneous conversation. Those are real important words that have been helpful to me. I've said it, you'll never grow a relationship with God, a close relationship with God, just by coming to church, just by having a quiet time. It is important to establish a daily appointment with God. I think there's tremendous value in spending time alone with God every day. I try to do that every day. But look, if you miss a day, your relationship with God has not ended and doesn't mean you can't abide with him that day. He has called us to abide with him, not just have a single appointment in the morning. He's called us to abide with him, to walk with him, to have fellowship with him. And so he wants to be included, not just at a scheduled time in the morning or on Sundays. He wants to be engaged in your life, dear one, in every moment of your life. Every activity, every conversation, every decision, every problem, and every thought. He wants to be there. He wants you to stay with him and walk through all of those things with him. 
And what we're going to discover when we start talking about fruit is suddenly I realize that he's not calling me to try harder. He's calling me to rest in him, to be sufficient for everything I'm going to encounter in a day. That he is enough when I'm confronted with a problem and that I can trust him to supply everything I need in that moment for that problem. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not sure I want to be with God all the time. I doubt anybody would just say it just like that. They'd say, I don't know that I want to be with God all the time. When I, was, when I was a little boy, I grew up outside San Antonio. We had shell gravel roads and scrub oak, pin oak. I ran around barefoot all summer. I don't know how. My feet should have been sliced to pieces, but they were tough little five-year-old feet, and I ran everywhere doing everything, huckleberry finn kind of a childhood. And there was an older boy that my, my mother had befriended in the neighborhood. She was a single mom at the time, an older boy named Ronnie. Ronnie took me under his wing. He was an older boy. He was really old, really, really old. I think he was eight or nine. And, and Ronnie and I, I was, I was his shadow, you know, as a little kid. I was his shadow, and he had me with him all the time. And my mom knew that as long as I was with, was with, with Ronnie, I was okay because Ronnie looked out for me. He took care of me. He, he, he watched over me. And so it didn't matter. As long as I was with Ronnie, everything was cool. One day, I saw Ronnie and his friends going to a little clubhouse we had built. And uh, I saw it from several yards away. And so I got out, and I trotted over to the little clubhouse thing where they were. And I knew it just right away. It smelled funny. And I stuck my head in the door, and it was smoke like a like a pool room or something, I mean, just smoke. And, and Ronnie was smoking. And he said, Don, you need to get out of here. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, smoking. I said, I want to smoke. Five years old. So I want to smoke. No, they said, all of them. No, you get out of here. Because if we let you smoke, your mother will kill us. They didn't want me around all the time because there was, there was, they were going to have to change what they were doing if I stayed with them, at least at that moment. Part of abiding in Christ is developing a communion with him, a fellowship with him, a conversation with him where, where he is with me all the time. Dear one, I think, I know it has in my own life, that affects a lot of the things I do, a lot of things I say, a lot of things that I would watch or not watch, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I'm just saying his presence affects those things. And if I'm going to blow it, if I'm going to sin, I almost have to hold my hand up to Jesus and say, don't look at me right now. Just like Ronnie, Don, get out of here. You know, don't look at me right now. But if I want to abide in him, I need to practice his presence. There's actually a book by that title, Practicing the Presence of God, by a man named Brother Lawrence. It was written in the 16th century. He was French. He lived in a community of, with other men, and they were just seeking God together. But he was a cook. He lit, worked in the kitchen all day long. And for Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God was what he was known for. He was able to turn even the most commonplace tasks of cooking and cleaning and washing and all those kinds of things, he turned all those activities into acts of praise and into acts of worship. 
And what he changed in order to practice the presence of God was not what he was doing. What he changed was his attitude toward what he was doing. He wasn't doing it just for Brother Lawrence. He was doing it for God. He was doing it for the Lord. And so to abide in him is that. It is practicing his presence. It is communion with him. Being aware that he's there by faith. Trusting, Lord, you are here and I am, I'm doing this for you. With you. Recognizing that you are here with me. What does this look like when you get away from John 15? I, I wish we had time to look at all the examples, but let me just choose one from Paul's life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Look at what he says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That means don't stop. Don't stop praying. Does that sound like just a quiet time? Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's Paul abiding in Christ. He's the one that over 160 times reminds us over and over again that you're in Christ. He's even conscious of it himself. He said, I'm in prison, but I'm in Christ in prison. I'm in trouble, but I'm not just in trouble. I'm in Christ in trouble. He said, you're saints in win, but you're not just saints in win. You're saints in Christ in win. And that's how he thought about his life, that you're in this atmosphere of Christ. Wherever you go, you take your atmosphere with you. You're in Christ, but he's also in you, and he's abiding in him. How does he do that? He says, I'm rejoicing always. He says, I'm praying without ceasing. Does that sound like an inner conversation with Jesus? Praying without ceasing is praying without stopping. Just constant communion with him. If we had the time, I could show you some examples, even in the life of Jesus, where he's talking to a crowd, and all of a sudden he talks to God for one or two sentences, and then he talks to the crowd again. He talks to God like he was just standing right there. I thank you, Father. That, that what I'm talking about here with these people, you, you, you have hidden from them, but you have revealed it to babes, and, 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 and he's just thanking God, and then he turns around and he says, now come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's exactly what happened. Communion, spontaneous conversation. Abiding, as it appears in John 15, is truly a command. Jesus is saying to do this which means it's not an option. If you want to follow Jesus, this is how you do it. There's not a plan B for bearing fruit. There's not a plan C for bearing fruit. There's not a plan D or E or F. There's only one plan. And that plan, he says, is to abide in me. This week has been an unusual week in the life of our family. We've had some losses and... Um, And from a pastor's point of view, that poses lots of challenges uh, to be where I need to be, to be who I need to be, to give what I believe the Lord wants me to give in the different situations that unfold. And every day, I found myself in that position. And I, I won't give you the details, but, but let me give you one example, one example. And, and perhaps you can relate to this. Friday, we had a funeral here for Don McLean 
longtime member of this church, um, loved the Lord, loved his family, and drove out to Bird Eye. They have a veteran cemetery out there. We, we interred the body. We came back and had a luncheon with the family. And by the way, it's one of the great ministries of this church is that we try to do that for the families in our church, feed them. And, and during that meal, uh, one of our staff members, Richie Cooper, had taken his dad Friday for what was expected to be a routine heart cath. He had five stents. We got word of that. We thought, wow, that's, that's a lot. But then within minutes after we got word of that, we got word that Richie's dad had passed away. Richie was in Jonesboro with his dad and his mom and his sister. Well, there are things you pray about, there are things you know you, you need to do. And all of our staff deal with this. I knew I, where I needed to go, and so I, I spoke to Don's widow, Faye, and I, I explained to her I needed to leave, and I slipped out, got in the car, drove to Jonesboro. Dustin followed later with River, the grandson. As I'm driving up there, I'm thinking over the week, all the things that have happened. And, and I know this is hard to imagine, but I get tired. Sometimes I get wore out. And, and, and don't ask Gail if I ever whine. And as I'm driving on the road, my heart turns. It's the best way to describe it. My heart turns. I didn't turn. I was driving straight, okay, down the road. But my heart turns to the Lord, and I begin talking to God, talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, you know my heart. And I should not minister ever out of my own strength. But right now, I'm a dry well. Have you ever been a dry well? Where you've had to do things for others, and you give and give and give and give, and you just plumb woe out. I said, Lord, I'm a dry well. But Father, this brother and his family, they don't need me to be a dry well. They need you. And so, Lord, I'm trusting you to supply everything that's needed when I get there. Now, you've got to understand, I just told you that in 60 seconds. But that was a conversation that lasted for 50 miles. And, and there's not a formula. But there is a relationship that every Christian here is called to. And it is the difference between life, knowing you go to heaven when you die, and abundant life. And he came so that you would have abundant life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we close this service this morning, I need to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you point to a specific time in your life where you trusted Jesus to save you from your sins? 
trusted that his sacrifice on the cross was enough to take away all your sins. Can you remember that moment? If you can't, I want to encourage you today to give your life to Christ, to put your trust in him. In a moment when we stand and sing, there are pastors who will be standing down here at the front. And they'll be happy to share scripture with you to help lead you to a place where you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've trusted him and you've never been baptized. Jesus said the first step of obedience, he said, was baptism. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants us to take that public step of being baptized and following Christ. Have you done that? It doesn't save you, but it is an act of obedience because you love him. And maybe you need to do that and you just need to come and talk to one of these pastors and say, I want to set a time to be baptized. I know Jesus. I know I'm saved, but I've never been baptized after I was saved. And then, my brother and my sister, you who are tired and you have been trying and trying and trying and trying, can I set you free this morning? Would you turn to Christ during this time of response? Would you just turn to Jesus and say, I realize now you didn't call me just to live right. You called me to live with you. You called me to have a relationship with you, a moment-by-moment relationship with a moment-by-moment Savior. And maybe you just need to spend some time talking to him, praying to him, enjoying him, communing with him, conversing with him, and let something happen this morning that would be just the beginning of a conversation and a relationship that you're going to turn to again and again and again. It's learned, it's cultivated, but dear one, it's real. It's you and him and how he loves you, how he loves you.